done. <clears throat> Turn your Bibles this morning to uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Uh, I recognize almost everybody's faces, but I this section over here, there's one pew there that I'm not sure who you guys are. But I, I know that I've seen the young couple. I'm not sure about the, the other couple there. Anyway, good to see you in, the, in church this morning. For those of you who are not in church, there'll be church tonight, so hopefully we'll see you, uh, hopefully we will see you then. Uh, for those of you that were in Sunday school, we're, uh, in, in our Sunday school class, we're going through the word things about uh, things that are freely given to us. Wednesday night, when we uh, read or quoted the scriptures, I never noticed Till this morning, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, uh, I pressed toward the mark of the high... Pro- I, I didn't notice the word things in, in those verses till, uh, till this morning, so I'm not sure what you are doing for Sunday school next Sunday morning, but we'd invite you to come on out. We have classes for everyone. I'm talking to you back there on the, on the camera. Uh, the passage of Scripture that I'm going to use this morning is a very familiar passage of Scripture for anybody who's been in. in uh, before I get started, a pastor really does send his greetings. Uh, we're hoping to get the, the camera that's in the hallway. There's a way to be able to communicate through it, and it wasn't working last night. We're not sure if it was his uh, phone or iPad or whatever, but uh, we're going to see if we can't get that set up so that he can say hi to you all as you come in individually. But uh, anyway, he's doing well. Uh, as Brother Dave mentioned, uh, the, uh, the first night, the first evening home, that first uh, five hours was rather interesting and very uncomfortable, not only for him, but for all of us who were trying to get him settled and get started on the, on the routine. But he is uh, definitely a marked improvement from when he got home. So keep praying for him. It's, it's odd, even though I'm very familiar and pretty comfortable with being here. When Pastor's not here, it's, uh, the best way to put it is like having one shoe on and one shoe off and you're walking around. It, you can do it, but it's just not quite the same as having him right here behind me and then moving out here to the front. But the passage of Scripture here in Luke, as I mentioned, is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, if you're all able to, uh, will you stand and join me? We're going to read the, uh, the first 11 verses of this uh, passage. <clears throat> Luke 11, uh, excuse me, Luke 5, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that... As the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. They're not fishing. They're not just coming in. They've already fished. They're already to the place where, okay, even though we, and we'll see here in just a minute, even though we didn't catch anything, we need to check the men's, the nets. Uh, they will mend them. They get caught on rocks. The nets that they're uh, looking at here are not these big round nets that you see uh, somewhat familiar down in the Gulf Coast or whatever, or even in some far eastern countries where they're a big circle and they just kind of fling them out out there like that and they float down and then they've got a rope that they pull. These are big fishing nets that many times they would hook uh, between two ships and then uh, 
pull them forward or they would put them in a big circle and trying to catch the fish in. So they're very large nets. They need to be cleaned and checked every day that they go out. So fishing is done for the day, actually for the night. And so that's what they're doing is uh, washing and mending their nets. And he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the draft. Almost every time I've ever heard anybody preach this passage of scripture, they always point out the word nets, plural. The Lord Thank you for using uh, for me being able to use your ship. I want you to launch out and let down the nets, plural. But that's not really where we're going with all this. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, uh, all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. He could have developed an attitude. Now he's already familiar with uh, with Jesus. Uh, if we look back chronologically in the Bible, we would see they've already had contact. He's already, Jesus already had contact with us, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And he's already asked them one time to follow me. So they're familiar with him. How much time from the first time he talked to them until this point, I'm not sure. The Bible's not really clear. But they're familiar with him. They've heard him preach. They've heard him teach. Uh, he has spent a little bit of time uh, doing that. And they have followed him somewhat closely. So when he says, let down the nets, he, they could have developed an attitude and said, well, you're not even a fisherman. Uh, you've got a carpenter background. Why are you telling me when we have toiled all night? But they, I, don't, uh, I don't believe that uh, Peter had an attitude at this point. He says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word. He did take time to point out, we've already, you know, we've already been out there all night. He did point that out, but I don't think it was with an attitude. And when they had done this, verse 6, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they, were, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they, plural, they forsook all and followed him. Father, I ask in these next few minutes that we're gathered together here in the church house that you would use your word to challenge and to encourage us in our spiritual walk with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So it, Jesus, it, the interesting thing to me is, he takes some time, uh, the people are pressing on him, pressing on him, to the place where he's backed up, backed up, backed up. Uh, he, he's down by the seashore, that's when he says to Peter, and I, I'm assuming Peter, in Larry's world, I, I picture Peter sitting over here with the nets. And he says, uh, can, can we just launch out just a, a little bit that I can sit in the boat and, and talk to these people? We have no idea what he, what he talked about. In all four Gospels, there is no hint 
of anything that he taught or who all it was that he was speaking to. We have several messages, sometimes short passages, sometimes three or four chapters all at one time, where we'll get the whole message, but it's it's strangely silent um, at this point. And I I find it interesting also that uh, he says, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. He never says to them, follow me. They're over here. They're cleaning their nets. They they're, uh, have just uh, finished up the night. They go out. He says, launch out into the deep and uh, spread out your nets, plural. Well, they don't take, I, don't, I didn't get the impression that they took both ships, but they catch so many fish that it says, uh, what verse is that? that uh, verse 7, the end of verse 7, and they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. I thought about that for a, a, a little while. Uh, we used to have a canoe. Uh, you can put a lot of weight in a canoe before it's going to begin to sink. These are not canoes. These are not boats. These are ships. How many fish would it take to begin to sink a canoe? Multiply that by what? To be able to get two ships. Now, the, the ships that they're talking about, they, they have, uh, we had a chance to be able to go to Israel uh, after one of our trips over to Hungary on a, on a mission trip. And uh, the, the ship that they found uh, while they were over there, uh, they claim was, goes back to Jesus' time. It goes from about the, the back of the piano to about here, and it's about as wide, a little bit wider than you could reach from side to side. So whether that's the exact size of the ship that uh, Peter, James, and John, and all those guys owned, or if it was something larger. Anyway, it's not a huge ship, but how many fish are in that net that two of them are beginning to seek? That is a boatload of fish when when you stop and think about it. And then their reaction to it all. When Peter saw it and fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I don't know what all the preaching and teaching he'd heard prior to this or what the the teaching was that day, but Peter recognized, I'm in the presence of holiness. I need, I am a sinful man, and uh, I need whatever it is, my words, that he is teaching and preaching about because I see myself as I really am standing before a holy God. Uh, we have in the Bible 10 different instances where Jesus says to one or a group of people, follow me. As I search through my New Testament, I can find four instances where Jesus tells Peter, where Peter is in his presence, not directly directed at him, but a couple of times, but uh, is in Peter's presence when he says, follow me. He never says that in this passage of scripture. It just says, verse 11, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. My question and the title of the, uh, kind of the title of, of the message is, it's not about the fish. But what happened to the fish? There's a miracle that took place. 
Everybody is astonished. It, it tells about how the men in the ships were astonished. I'm assuming the people on the shore that uh, some of them may have wandered up, that they were astonished and amazed. What happened to the fish? I mean, here's the biggest catch they probably ever had in the history of, of all the fishing that they've ever done. They get to shore. A miracle has taken place. And look at what it, and look what it says. And so... Uh, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They left it. They left the nets. They left the, the, the family. They left the fishing business. They left the fish, which would have probably uh, paid off a whole bunch of bills, uh, paid for a whole bunch of groceries that they had. They just walked away from a miracle and followed him. It's not about the fish. It's not about the miracle. It's about following him who performs the miracles. Even in, uh, even in today's uh, day and age, we see God do some great and mighty things. And sometimes we were thankful at the, at the time, but how long does that thankfulness really carry on? You know, thank you, Lord, for we fill in the blank. And within, within anywhere from a few minutes to a couple hours, uh, we've gone on with life. Oh, God, God did some great, mighty, miraculous thing, but we just can kind of go on, uh, go on with life. So what is our application? Are you at the end of the message already? We're going to have an application. No, we're not at the end of the message. But what's the application uh, for us concerning the blessings and miracles of God is to recognize, see Remember God's goodness. Number one, the Bible says, take heed to thyself. Hold your finger here, put a marker there in Luke chapter 5. We're going to come back and turn to Deuteronomy chapter, 40, uh, chapter 4. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're supposed to take heed to ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. When God does something great and mighty, he says, clear back to the nation of Israel, you need to remember the things that you've seen. You need to remember the things that I did for you as I was bringing you uh, through on this journey, bringing you out of Egypt into the promised land. It's not any different with us today. There was a time some of us left Egypt, the world, much later than others. The blessing of being saved as a young person. Not having all that boatload of garbage that, that uh, you can bring with you that you encountered for, in my case, 32 years of living that. When God does something, one of the things that we, Cheryl and I, did as the children were growing up was not to say, oh, mom and dad lived this really wicked, ungodly. We just talked about the goodness of God, how good God was. When God answered prayer, we were always very quick to point it out. Cheryl much quicker about this than what I was. Uh, that 
look what God did again. Look how God answered this prayer again. Keeping those things before our children. And now we get the advantage of being able to do that with the grandchildren. Uh, a couple of the grand, uh, several of the grandchildren had never heard my testimony. They were shocked and appalled. Because even your, even your grandchildren, they know you the, the way that you are. We just assumed Papa was always like this. Oh, no. Papa was not always like this. Papa's got pictures of what it used to look like and what I used to be like. And just a, pi- a, picture, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. All that picture of me with my hair down to my shoulders and the mustache and my uh, paisley shirt and all that, uh, that, that's got a lot to say about where I was in life before I got saved. That uh, Anyway, they were a little bit shocked and appalled that, wow, I, we didn't think People live like that that came out of our family. Oh, yes, we did. Again, the advantage of being saved as a young person. The responsibility for us as parents and grandparents to teach them thy sons and thy son's sons. This is what God did. This is what God did. We all need to be saved and we keep those things before him. So uh, one of the first things I want us to to, uh, catch is Number one, take heed to thyself. Remember, remember what God has done. Not just at the time of salvation, but what what did God do for you last year? We're at the beginning of a new year. I can't wait to see what God does. We've, We've already had a couple of very large blessings that have taken place. That God just did a couple of miraculous things. But what did God do last year other than bringing it up on maybe on a Sunday night at testimony time or Wednesday night say well, I've got a I don't have a, a prayer request but I've got a blessing have you remembered uh, can you can you remember all the things that God did special over and above just giving us life and health number two don't miss the blesser which is God there is a there is the blessing But God is the blesser. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. We sometimes overlook and somewhat take for granted every good gift. I don't remember how it came about, but one time uh, yesterday, and it was before we, it was in between meals. All, all I know is it was in between lunch and supper time. And uh, Pastor and I were talking about just the availability of groceries that we have when you go to the grocery store. I said, we, we eat like kings used to eat. Uh, you go to the grocery store today, and if you look to see where your fruits and vegetables come, okay, some of them came from California because they have warm weather and seasons, but we have literally food that comes from around the world. Uh, people, people, when you once you step out of, and it, it's it's still this way, unfortunately, too, in a lot of other countries when you get into the Former communist countries, uh, things are beginning to pick up somewhat, but you get in the Middle East countries, nobody, nobody has the variety of food that we have. 
And yet we say, thank you, Lord, for this food. I mean, we, we all make sure that we pray and thank the Lord for the food, but we just kind of blow over it. We don't really stop and think, thank you for, and then name each individual thing. And then there's those of you, and I can see three of you already that I know, who have special diets that we're on. Part of it because we have specially modified, genetically altered, kill your gut stuff. But we're even at the place where they figured out how to provide for you gluten-free food or allergy-free food or whatever. It's just amazing. How thankful are we even really for the simplicity of a good meal? The goodness of God. He is the blesser. He's the provider. Every good gift and every perfect gift uh, is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. The fish were Peter's business, his livelihood. They forsook all, their nets, their ships, their servants, their relations, their friends, even all the fish which might have brought much money. They left all and followed him right then and there. Look at the uh, end of verse 11 again. And when they had uh, brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What happened to the fish? Did they say, Dad? We're following the Lord. Did they say, we know, we know that uh, Andrew and, I uh, uh, just went blank, uh, James and John were, were fishermen. Uh, they, whether they were in business together or whether they just were fishermen, that they both had their own ships or whatever, I'm not sure. But did the, I'm assuming that they t- said to hopefully other partners, somebody needs to take care of these fish. We just had a great miracle, a huge draft of fish. Somebody needs to take care of the fish, but we've got a higher priority. At this point, we need to leave and we need to follow him. I feel a higher calling than a fishing business in my life. Have you ever been in that situation? Well, you say, well, Larry, I've I've never been called to be a pastor or a missionary or anything like that. No, God has a calling. God has something for each and every one of you to do. Or have you just kind of floated along in life? Well, this seemed like a good thing to do, or this seemed like a good thing to do. Some of us are already retired. You got stuff here. How's retirement going, Brother Dave? (laughs) You say... How can I retire, semi-retire, and be so busy that I don't have time to get half the stuff done that I used to do, or that I wanted to do, or that I planned on doing? Life fills up in a big hurry. What is it that God wants you to be doing with your life? If he's provided a good job where you're able to take care of your family and pay the bills, thank him. Remember when you were praying that you'd be able to get that job? And you said, thank you, Lord, but have you started complaining about the job, the hours, the, uh, well, I have to go get the shot if I'm going to even be able to maintain my job or keep my job? I mean, we so easily forget the goodness of God through all this. We're still here. This may hit home for uh, some folks in this church, but we're still here. We, we haven't gone up to eternity because of COVID or sickness or uh, our, our poor health. I mean, uh, pastors got a much greater appreciation of knees, <laughs> body parts, than what he did before. Uh, the goodness, the goodness of God. It's not about the fish. 
Blessings don't last forever. Blessings don't last forever. Even our spouse and our children don't last forever in, in, this, in this life. It's rather interesting watching our children have their children graduating from high school and leaving home. You know, the, whoa, we should have. We should have invested a little bit more time. We, we should have spent a little bit more quality time. We should have. We should have. Yeah, we tried to tell you this is going to go quickly. This is going to go fast. Just, just watching them realize how fast life really did go by. Only God and salvation are forever and eternal. It's all about following him. Turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. It's not about the fish, just like it wasn't about the manna. Uh, when God uh, was... Telling them, okay, uh, we're in a new position, we're in a new spot. I'm going to provide for you food. It's manna, which meant, what is it? Uh, uh, I'm going to provide that for you. And he gives them instructions here in, in Exodus chapter 16. And no matter whether they went out to pick up a great big basket full of it, they didn't have any left over. If they had any left over, it all spoiled. But the Bible also tells us those that went out and just picked up a little bit, they had enough to get them through the day. But he let them know, look, this is just temporary and just pick up enough for you, your family and for this time. But it's not about the manna. Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 7. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of of the Lord. For he heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what are and what are we that ye murmur against us? He says, Okay, God heard you. He's gonna provide the manna, he's gonna provide something for you to eat. But it's the glory of the Lord. The miracles, every miracle in the Bible was for a purpose. It was for People, whether it be them, whether it be Simon Peter and, and the men that were fishing, whether it be several other people, or whether it be us, the miracle is for us to focus again on the Lord. And thank you, Lord. I, I appreciate the blessing, but wow, you've been better to me than what I deserve. Better to me than, Lord, I know me. He says, I know. I know you too. That's the good God that we serve. And in a lot of ways, he serves us. That doesn't sound good in that he doesn't, he doesn't serve us and that we can just come to him and say, Lord, I need, and we fill in the blank. But he freely gives us all things that we need for life and godliness, it talks about. <clears throat> Back here in... Luke chapter 5, in verses, oh, yeah, we're going to go drop down to the next, uh, down here to the next story. Here in verse 20, we've got the uh, uh, thing that has taken place. They, they got the uh, man that was unable to walk. Verse 20, we're just going to jump in the middle. And when he saw their faith, this is the, this is the people that broke up the roof to, to drop the man down. Luke chapter 5, verse 20. And when they saw their faith, 
he said to them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, answering and said unto them, What? Reason ye in your hearts? Whither is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that wherein he lay, whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, doing what? Glorifying God. Verse 26. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things this day. It's all about recognizing who God is. It's all about glorifying God. It's all about giving Him the continued acknowledgement of how good He is. And He uses the miracles to focus our attention on His goodness, on His mercy, on His abundantly taking care of us, so that we will continue to, oh, I need to I need to stay close. I need to, I need to follow him. We had a policeman. I, this was just on the news. We had a policeman up in Green Bay that uh, got uh, blindsided. There was a domestic disturbance call, and he and a, another policeman showed up, and uh, it was a, a bad situation. He got shot 11 times, and uh, they, they put him in and managed to get an ambulance over there right away, got him in the ambulance, got him to the hospital. His dad saw his son going in, and he says, he was as good as dead. He says, I never expected him to survive, even through the surgery, much less survive uh, all 11 shots. And this was in the newscast. Afterwards, they were interviewing dad again, and he says, he survived, he's healthy, he's being, relearse, uh, he's being relearse, released. He says, but I think God had something to do with it. You think God had something to do with it? Uh, you know, you, you, you would think, we would, we would say, God definitely had something to do with it. We would pray and say, look, I, I saw the situation on television. We prayed for the, as a church, we prayed for this policeman because some of us knew him and everything. But then his dad says, I think God had something to do. We, we pray when a crisis strikes, Lord, use this to get people's attention. Use this to bring them to you. Use this to uh, cause them to realize life without you is, is, is just foolish and it's hard to live. Lord, you work out the a miracle. You'll work out a situation so that they will see you for who you really are. But when it happens, it seemed like the people that responded, what? I think God had something to do. It seemed like they never connect the connection, if you know what I mean. But that doesn't mean to stop praying. I'm hoping that somebody in Green Bay that does know this policeman and does know his dad is able to go to them and say, I know that God had something to do with Can I sit down and share some scriptures with you and tell you how much God is concerned about your son, about you, and about the rest of your family? One of the things that I would have seriously pursued had the Lord not put us into the ministry was I never had a, really a desire to become a policeman or a fireman. But having uh, in the Army worked in the operating room, 
I found it very fascinating. It, every, every day was completely different. You never, you had scheduled surgeries and then you had the emergencies that took place. But I, I got a real interest in the, the opportunities that are presented. And uh, I would have been interested and wanted to, and I keep talking to young people that are interested in the medical field, about becoming somebody who rides in an ambulance. The opportunity, you cannot go up to a hospital. Oh, when pastor was up there, if, if he'd have been able to get around, you can't go bed to bed and say, oh, I'm, I'm Pastor Dunbar, I've got to, I'd like to share some good news with you. You can't do that. You can't do that as a patient. You can't do that as a doctor. You can't do that as a nurse. It's very difficult. Uh, you go up to visit somebody, you just visit that person that's from your church. You can't just go around bed to bed to be able to talk to people and say, I've got good news. I'm over here praying with, uh, with this guy, but I've got some good news. They, they just won't let you do that. But if you are an ambulance worker and somebody's in a crisis, whether it be a car accident or, a, in this case, a, a, a gun shooting or whatever, you can go back up and say, I was the medic that was there that helped you get out of the car or to get out of the, you fell through the ice and we got you out of the ice. Uh, you, the, you, we were the ones that, that kept your heart going and everything uh, until we were able to get you to the doctor here at the hospital. If you died, where would you go? It's a golden opportunity. Those medics have, have an absolutely open door where doctors and nurses and pastors don't have these days. Uh, it's, it's, much more, it's much more fun than fishing. <laughs> it's much more fun than... than uh, opportunities to present themselves just, just simply because we're, we're looking for something to do. When it talks about the faith, forsake all, these are, forsake means to quit, to leave entirely, to abandon. There are times we pray for a miracle, but there are other times it seems like they just happen. Which is more surprising to you when a miracle just happens or you pray for something and the Lord actually does it? I hate to say it, but I'm always kind of shocked when God does answer in a great and mighty way. But, whoa, can you believe that? Is anybody else like that or am I the only one that is a little bit surprised that God is that good? Don't focus on the blessing, but on God who is the blesser. It helps us, verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, seeing him who is invisible. They had the opportunity to see him and hear him. Uh, they had the opportunity to physically touch him and to follow him and to watch the miracles that he did. We have somewhat of an invisible God. We know him through the preaching of, this, uh, of the word of God, through reading our Bible, through testimonies, through the way that we see uh, he works in life. But the miracles, whether it be back then or whether it be currently today, it helps us to see him who is invisible that does have a care and concern about each and every individual and uh, how he works in, in lives. Uh, Enoch walked with God and he had no Bible. He didn't have a church. We have both to help us focus on the Lord. We really are without excuse to be cold, indifferent, get backslidden. 
If Enoch could walk with God, having none of those things, none of those benefits, and again, when Enoch walked with God, he did hear God's voice uh, at least once, if not twice, but he didn't have the presence of somebody like the Lord Jesus. There wasn't a prophet. There wasn't a priest. There, was, there wasn't a preacher. Yet Enoch, without scriptures, without fellowship of other believers, was able to walk with God all the days of his life after his first son was born. And I, I don't remember now, but it was, it was a hundred and some years that he walked with God. We really kind of stand without excuse. There is a missionary that I just re- uh, reread the condensed version of his, uh, of his biography by the name of William Borden. I know, did you have Borden Milk Company around here in Wisconsin? We had uh, Borden Milk. Uh, it was Elsie the cow on the, on the truck, uh, a contented cow producing contented milk. Well, uh, at that time, I, I, I still remember I was old enough to... Uh, I'm going to say at least six or seven where they were still delivering milk to the house in glass milk bottles. And uh, at some point that they, they stopped doing that. But when we, uh, when we would have lunchtime, uh, this was before everybody got meals like you do at school now. But the, our school started providing milk for us to drink with our lunch. We got Elsie the cow, Borden milk, little cartons to be able to drink milk. We even had the choice of uh, regular or chocolate. Well, who's going to drink regular when you can get chocolate? And I don't even have to tell mom about it when I get back home. But uh, William Borden came from his, his father was extremely rich. He was a multimillionaire when millionaires were, were uh, very few and far between. And uh, so William Borden was born into that family in 1887. His mother got saved when he was seven years old. Uh, he was saved shortly after. After high school graduation, he takes a trip around the world and met several missionaries. Can you imagine? Uh, Joy, what did you do for your high school graduation celebration? You did what? Washington, D.C. What'd you do on your graduate for your graduation? Big deal. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk to mom and dad about it. We, we, we've had, we've had. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say four or five young people that uh, either mom and dad or uh, dad and a son or a daughter have made a mission trip with us someplace into Eastern Europe. This is their mission trip. We're, we're going to Croatia to help serve a missionary for a couple of weeks and help pass out the word of God. Uh, I didn't do anything for my graduation, but that was hundreds of years ago. (laughs) But on his graduation, because he comes from a multi-million dollar home, they said, we have a good godly Christian companion that's going to travel and you can go any place in the world that you want to go. So he literally traveled, uh, I forgot how many different countries, just visiting because he's already very spiritually minded. Which It's a William Borden. Look it up. There's a condensed version of it on, uh, on the internet. He traveled to several different countries, always with the importance and the mindset of what are the missionaries doing here? 
His first year of college at Yale University, which used to be a good Bible preaching prepare pastors and missionaries for the ministry. He went there his first year of college. His dad dies. He and his brother inherit multi-millions worth of dollars. After that, the next three years, because he was, he was sharp, he was educated, he was handsome, he was very athletic, uh, had a very keen head on his shoulders, uh, given to good education, uh, had godly desires and principles. There were several companies that came and asked if he would become the next vice president or president of their countries. And he said, no, my focus is on the Lord. I'm not sure what the Lord wants me to do. Here's a multi-multi-millionaire that could have done anything he wanted, including packing up his bags, buying an island, and going fishing or whatever for the rest of his life. He continued on and focused on that. He later attends a missionary conference. Hears of a great need of unreached Muslim people, many of them in China. After graduation, he goes to Cairo, Egypt, to learn the language and started handing out evangelistic messages written in the style of the Quranic teachings that were popular among the Egyptians. But just a few months later, contacts spinal meningitis and dies. And several people said, what a shame. What a loss. Here he was, had, could have done millions of dollars worth of good for a multitude of things, which he did. But his life was cut short. How sad. He never made it to China to work with the Muslims that were there. But in his Bible, they found no reserves after he graduated from high school. Uh, when he heard the call for missions, he said, he wrote in his Bible, no retreats. I'm going forward with what God's called me to do. And just before he passed away, he put down the words, no regrets. If he'd have never gone to India, he'd have probably never ended up with spinal meningitis. But he had no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. So when we see this passage of scripture here, when it says, and they forsook all and followed him. And I realized the pastor last Sunday night preached a message about following after the Lord. So this is somewhat kind of added to, uh, caboosed onto what pastor was talking about and everything. Hebrews chapter uh, 12 verse 1 says, Laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily besets us. There's the call to what I would say, uh, the call to ministry, full-time ministry, whether it be a, a pastor, a pastor's wife, uh, a missionary, uh, a Christian school teacher, something like that. And we kind of lift those people up. And to be quite honest, to, to be called as a pastor or missionary, it's a special calling and needs to be. And needs to be because we want to do the best for the, for the Lord. But there's a calling for all of us in uh, that he wants us to follow, and that is laying aside every weight that does so easily beset us in our everyday Christian walk. What sin, what bad habit, what pleasurable thing, what inconsistency in your life 
hinders you in your walk with the Lord. I have in my notes the name of two men that I know very well that have struggled with an inconsistent walk in their life. One of them just went through a car accident early in the morning, just died last year. He'd be up, he'd do well for about three or four months, and he'd fall back, and he'd get away from the Lord. Stop by and visit him. I know, I know, Larry, I, I know what it is I'm supposed to be doing. It, it, it's, it's just a struggle in this life. I've got these, I've got these habits. I've got these struggles. I've got this craving in my body for things that I should have never got involved with. And he'd, he'd be off, to the, off in the weeds for a year and a half. And he'd show back up. I'm working on the victory. God, God's giving me strength. I know that I need to be in church. I'm back here. I'm in my Bible. And he'd be good for about four months and he'd, he'd be gone again. The other name that I've got down here is myself. I've seen my inconsistencies over 40 years of Christianity of times where I've let particular pleasures get in the way that's hindered my following the Lord. Well, I'd much rather do this. I'd much rather sleep in than to get up and do my devotions. I'd much rather, uh, I'd much rather go out and, and spend a bunch of money on, on this kind of thing and not even thinking about, oh, that's right, we've got missions conference coming up and we're going to have special offers. I have seen the inconsistencies in, in my life. I've seen sin that I've allowed creep into my life, especially when I was first saved, that I'd fall back into some of my old habits. I've got regrets. I've allowed the, uh, I've allowed the sin, the bad habits, pleasures in this life and inconsistency to hinder my walk with the Lord. Which one or both of these, when Jesus says, follow me, is he speaking to you about today? Would the Lord have you prepare for ministry? The reason I went to Bible college was not to be a pastor or a missionary. I went to Bible college because I didn't really know my Bible that well. Uh, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a home where we went to church, but it wasn't, I, was, I didn't know about salvation until my early 30s. So I knew a little bit of Bible, but I thought, I got saved. I want to be a good Sunday school teacher. But what about our daily walk? What hinders you from following close to the Lord? Turn over to Jude chapter 1. And we'll close with this passage of scripture. In Jude... Beginning in verse 20, it says, But ye, beloved, speaking to believers, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's not Cheryl and I walking hand in hand. It's not Cheryl saying, Larry, how are you doing spiritually? Or 
me being accountable to somebody or somebody being accountable to me. It's not developing a relationship where I've got a prayer partner that I can call at any time to pray about things, but I do have those. It says things that ye building up yourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God. Ask yourself this question. Am I a good follower? If you say, I'm a good follower, are you a close follower or a distant follower? Peter would have said, I'm a follower of Christ. But when they came into the garden and they took Jesus, even though Peter cut off an ear and God miraculously picks the ear up, Jesus picks it up, puts it back on the man's head, last miracle for anybody to really see with their own eyeballs, again, to not only point to who he was, but how great the father was. Here's a miracle that takes place for all of them to recognize the goodness of God. The disciples all scatter. John shows up at the trial He was a close follower. But Peter, he followed, but he was a guilty distance away. He was sitting at the fire. He cursed. He denied. I'm not saying that there's anybody in here that's like that, but are you a follower? Are you a close follower or are you a distant follower? Do you want to be a follower? I know and recognize over three quarters of you. And I assume that you really are saved and gotten saved, but it, it, goes without, it goes without question or without saying, and for anybody who might be watching on the Internet, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Do you want to be a follower? With everyone standing, heads bowed and eyes closed as the instrument or instruments begin to play, Ask yourself that question. Am I a follower? If you are a follower, are you following closely? Or are you kind of a distant follower? Are you following consistently? Or sometimes the pleasures, the cares, the sins have gotten in the way and caused to be a stumbling block or a go from a close follower to a, a distant follower as a, as we come with the song part of the service. Oh, I forgot. We can. You, can, you can respond whether the organ is playing or not. Anybody need to?